Welcome to the School of Faith podcast. This is a podcast from Awakening Church, a faith community in the Silicon Valley, where we exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus Christ. We are so glad you're with us. Today, we're continuing our creed questions. Questions that arise from confessing the Apostles' Creed, which is the most ancient articulation of the faith. As we articulate this, as we confess this creed, questions arise. And this one today is probably the most popular question we receive when we talk about the creed. And it's this. In the creed, we confess that Jesus, quote, descended into hell. So the question goes, did Jesus go to hell? Did God go to the place that is marked by his absence? Was God at some point present in the space that was uh, that is defined by his total absence? It's a great question. It's a question that I myself have had and had to search out answers for. But there's also something we have to pay attention to. We can't simply shrug this off. We can't... Um, pin this on being metaphorical teaching with no real truth and just saying, oh, it's kind of more of a metaphor. No, there's something here in this teaching because not only did this creed confess it, um, the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell, but the Athanasian Creed, which is another ancient creed in around the third century, states that Jesus, quote, suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. It's easy for us to think about Jesus ascending into heaven. It's very difficult for us to think about Jesus Christ descending into hell. And yet, two ancient articulations of the faith trying to summarize biblical teaching, the early church most certainly believed that Jesus, quote, descended into hell. So what does it mean? Well, we're going to go through a few passages that is guided by actually an article that I wrote a number of years back, maybe um, last year, actually, during Lent. We're going to post that. I'll, I'll try to post that in the um, show notes here. And if not, we'll post it for sure on our social channels at Awakening Church, at Awakening SV on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to read it, if you want to look back at some of these, um, you know, scripture references that I make. But this teaching that Jesus descended into hell is typically reflected on on Holy Saturday. Do you know what Holy Saturday is? It's the day in between Good Friday and Easter. A lot of us don't really think about it, but it's it's kind of misleading because it makes us think that this teaching is a sort of chronological teaching. What I mean is we think Jesus died on Friday, he went to hell on Saturday, and then he got up from the grave on Sunday. I don't think scripture teaches something that clean and neat. However, I want to give you a sentence that I really believe scripture teaches and will help us understand this confession that Jesus descended into hell. What does it mean that Jesus descended into hell? Here's the sentence. It, it means that there is nowhere that God's powerful resurrection work did not echo an effect. Hell trembled when Jesus uh, died on the cross and heaven threw a party. The resurrection work of Jesus, and I would argue the very person of the resurrected Christ— when uh, he died, was basically cascading his effect across heaven and hell. And there were two stark reactions. 
One reaction from hell, a trembling, a defeat, and one in heaven, a massive party and celebration. Let me show you a couple of passages um, that have helped me understand this doctrine a little bit. The first passage is from Mark 3, 24 through 27. Jesus is actually kind of rebuking some people who have challenged him and actually called him the devil. Uh, they, they, they didn't say, uh, Jesus, you're going to hell. They said, Jesus, you've come from hell. He says this, well, if a king, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Verse 26, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to, to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed may plunder his house. This is a famous passage, passage called The Binding of the Strongman and has been misunderstood by many types of Christians. I grew up Catholic, but I've been around a lot of Pentecostals. And over the years, I would say more conservative Christians have understood this passage of binding the strongman as vaguely connected to a sort of Christus Victor theology, which is that Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death on the cross and this passage is speaking just about Jesus um, destroying Satan. Whereas Pentecostal friends tend to use this with healing language, that we as Christians must continually, quote, bind the strong man in prayer when we're asking God for things. And, and I've realized both of these can be true at the same time, and both have their own weaknesses when we solely commit to one side. Fleming Rutledge, an incredible theologian, she wrote this book called The Crucifixion and highlights um, this passage uh, in Mark 3, 26 through 27 and connects it uh, to Mark 1, 23 through 27, where Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit out of a man. And here's one of her conclusions. She says, Mark's message depends on our understanding that the demon is separate from the man he is tormenting and that Jesus's authority over such demons derives from another realm that has never appear before appeared in full strength in the sphere of the flesh until the incarnation of the Son. Okay, that's a heavy sentence, but let me summarize Rutledge's teaching. Essentially, hell is a separate place. Hell is a place of separation from God and even from the living. It's kind of the realm of the dead, quote-unquote, right? And oftentimes, the way that demons interact from humans is still in a separate space, Um but when Jesus shows up, it seems that his authority is over both hell, demons, Satan, and heaven. And that when Jesus shows up on earth, because he's able to do what he does, he demonstrates a level of authority and power that we've never seen before. As we see in Christ, through the power of his resurrection, Jesus can span both heaven and hell. You see, it's important when we understand why is Christ's descent so important? It's important for us to realize, you know, we can't go to hell and come back. But when we see Jesus healing and casting out demons and then ultimately dying on the cross and raising from the dead, we realize while we cannot go to hell and come back, Jesus seemingly can. In the Mark passage that was quoted, Jesus is teaching us that we won't be able to do 
anything of significance against evil forces unless he first does something or, in his language, goes in and ties up a strong man. So this brings new meaning to all of the ways the New Testament actually speaks about Christ's resurrection. If you think about many, many passages over and over again, the writers say that Jesus, quote unquote, is raised from the dead. And to us, this might mean Jesus is raised like from a a physical, from his dead body or from the physiological state of death, which is true. He was. But the writers could also read this, that Christ was raised from the realm of the dead. You see, literally from the dead, like he came from the graves, from where dead people are. And he rose victoriously out of that, promising one day we will as well, as, as Peter actually says in his first sermon in the book of Acts, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him up, Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The good news of the resurrection is that Jesus went to a place, hell, that no one has ever come, uh, gone to and come back from and returned. He returned from, quote unquote, deadness and eternal darkness or hell. This is precisely the good news we need. No one has ever descended into hell and lived to tell about it except for Jesus Christ. Okay, the second passage is Jesus uh, is Peter writing to the early church, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3, 18, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. This might be one of the more clearer passages of what happened after the cross, right after the cross and before the resurrection. Peter says Jesus went somewhere. He, quote, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. While we get no specific reference to hell here, we understand that the spirits in prison and those who, quote, did not obey are not people in a political prison, but people contained in a landscape like hell. And so we hear that Jesus went and proclaimed these uh, to these people. So this passage is helpful actually when it's interpreted side by side by another passage on hell, Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. If you don't know this parable, I would consider, uh, charge you to go read it and also read Joshua Ryan Butler's The Skeletons in God's Closet because he gives perfect commentary on this passage. Luke 16, 19 through 31 Too long to quote in one um, podcast here, but when you read this story of a rich man going to Hades or hell and Lazarus, this poor man, going up to, quote, Abraham's side or heaven, there's actually a discussion that happens between the two men and actually between Abraham himself and the rich man who is in suffering in hell. And it seems that this teaching talks about communication lines between the two realms of the dead. Lazarus speaks to Abraham. And this is, this is strange, but important to note that it helps us see while Hades and heaven or hell and heaven are separate environments and that the rich man does not communicate with Lazarus is actually maybe an important note here, but actually communicates with Abraham. That uh, while they're separate environments, there still is a chasm to speak across, it seems. And this helps us interpret Christ's descent into hell. Really, really carefully, listen. Christ, upon his death, 
he did not spend a literal 24 or 36 hours in a space or dimension called hell. To insert our current concept of time as chronological is kind of ridiculous right now. However, the cosmic eternal reality Peter is describing is beyond a literal Saturday. Certainly, uh, and, and, and probably beyond comprehension entirely, right? But yet, Holy Saturday is the reality occurring beyond time and space of Jesus' crucifixion, which is this. Christ has proclaimed and is proclaiming his good word and gospel to the dead. On Holy Saturday, knowing Jesus' descent, Jesus is preaching across the chasm of heaven and hell. I have won. <laughs> he says this to heaven. He says this to hell. He says this to earth. Jesus's resurrection power can go anywhere. It goes to the lowest regions of the earth, to the depths of hell, and to the heights of heaven. The glory of Jesus's work is him proclaiming that work to the spirits in prison and the spirits in heaven, shouting uh, triumphantly, and finally, death is defeated, I have won. So when we say Jesus has descended into hell, we are saying that there is no power of hell that's too strong, no kind of death that's too much, no chasm that's too wide, and no darkness too black for the word and gospel and work of the resurrected Jesus Christ. His work is so powerful that there's no darkness, no hell that can handle it. And so, my friends, where in your life is there a dark split space that you believe God cannot enlighten? Where in your life is there something so dead you believe God can't bring it to life? If we say that Jesus descended into hell, what makes us think that he could not descend into our darkness, our own personal hell, our own communal injustices that are going on? Do we really believe that Jesus descended into hell? Because if we do, it means there's nothing that Christ is not able to overcome. And so may you go in the confidence and the beauty of Jesus's great, powerful resurrection work. 